Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Got a nice, small, little, intimate crowd this afternoon, which is which is actually great. Uh, my name is Stacy Jones. I am uh, the preaching minister of the Valley View Church of Christ in Stockton, California, um, and I'm just excited to be able to uh, to be here on this afternoon to share with you uh, a little bit about ministering to millennials. I know that this is uh, in some pockets a bit of a hot button issue that people are really uh, eager to dig into. I don't think I'm going to share with you anything today that's going to be earth-shattering, uh, but hopefully I'm able to share some things with you that will at least be eye-opening. Um, I think that with the way that the millennial generation is set up and the sheer size of it, uh, it demands our attention uh, on a number of different levels. And so as we walk through this, uh, please feel free to jump in at any point to ask any questions, to offer uh, any, any experiences that you, uh, that you may. Um, I'm not, not very rigid in that regard, and so uh, feel free to jump in uh, anywhere that you, that you desire. Um, so what is, what is a millennial? Uh, a millennial is loosely defined as those individuals born between 1980 and the year 2000, but that time frame tends to vary uh, based upon what, what resource you're looking at. Uh, Pew Research recently narrowed that time frame down to 1981 to 1996, and those that come after that, they're calling post-millennial. Um, and so the time frame, for our purposes, we'll look at the time frame of 1980 to 2000, uh, but understand that Pew Research has narrowed that down to 1981 to 1996. And so what are the things uh, that tend to characterize, in a broad sense, uh, a millennial in terms of their, their thoughts and their perspectives. And so uh, millennials are uh, more likely to be liberal in their political ideology. Uh, millennials are also less likely to practice religion than previous generations. And millennials also grew up in an age of technology. So they are uh, a generation that we would call tech savvy. And I think all of those things actually play into uh, what we need to think out, think about in terms of framework as we seek to minister to that particular, uh, that particular demographic. Millennials is also characterized in, an, in, in a negative sense as narcissistic, as lazy, as coddled, and they've even been called delusional. But they're also regarded in a positive way as those that are considered to be open-minded, supportive of equal rights, confident, self-expressive, liberal, upbeat, and receptive to new ideas. And so those of you that have had very much interaction with millennials, how do you think that that ranges? Do you think that's, that's fairly accurate? Yes? No? Fairly accurate? Um, I don't know. I think I think that, that there is some truth to this, but I, I also think that there is a possibility that there are some aspects of millennials that are misunderstood. And so I want to talk about that a little bit as we as we move forward. And so why is this whole business of ministering to millennials even important? According to Pew Research, millennials are on the cusp of surpassing baby boomers as the largest living adult adult generation or population within or subset within our population. And so they're about to surpass the baby boomers because the baby boomers are phasing out. So the millennials are about to take up this huge portion of the population. But we also know, according to the slide that we just looked at, that they're actually much less likely to be connected um, to religion than previous generations. And so we have this problem, right? that we have this huge portion of the population that's far less likely to be connected to, to religion, if you will. So I think that that, that that should start some wheels to turning for us. Now, in a practical sense, the youngest of this generation is about to leave high school and enter college. The youngest of this generation is about to leave high school and enter into college. Now, the reason that I put that there is because when you think about it in terms of a typical ministry structure, is that your youth ministry generally ends when high school ends, right? Your youth ministry generally ends when high school ends. And for a lot of, uh, of churches, there is nothing after that. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a moment. 
Um, the eldest of this generation has completed college, has had a job or two, or speaking for myself, even three. And many of them may be married with, with young families, right? So you have a huge span here. You have a portion of this, of this, this, this population, a portion of this generation that is leaving high school. You have at the, at the very uh, end of it, you have those that have gone through college that are really um, getting themselves pretty well established. And so you, you have a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover in that regard. And so I think that failure to concern ourselves with ministering to this generation will have serious implications for, uh, for churches, for ministries uh, on multiple levels. And so we really have to begin thinking about this. So my question for you, and this is a, a literal question, where's the bridge? Where's the bridge? What is a bridge that carries your millennial population for your church, for your faith community, from youth ministry to the larger faith community? What is the bridge? Does anybody have a bridge? We call it the YAMS team. Okay. Young adult ministry. Okay. Um, but what we've noticed is that even the young adults, they grow older. Mm -hmm. So you almost have to have that second generation mm -hmm. that we're noticing now. Okay. So are you saying that as they grow older that there's a bit of a split? So that there has to be... Between the older and the younger, yeah. Right. So I think that that's also a, a, a very good point, is that... Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 38 going on 39 years old, and somehow I still find myself grouped into this young adult thing, right? I think I'm aging out of that. <laughs> I think I'm aging out of that. But as, a, as, a, as an adult, male, homeowner, college graduate, right? I have very little in common with an 18-year-old who's just going into college, right? So there's this interesting thing about the, the breadth of, of that millennial generation, right? Because I'm really not a, a millennial. I'm kind of on the cusp, but close enough. Does anybody else participate in a ministry that has a bridge? Well, where I am, I'm the bridge. You are the bridge. Yeah. Okay. In what way? I am our uh, de facto youth minister. Okay. I'm not the young adult minister. Okay. Uh, I'm the pulpit evangelism minister. I'm the mm -hmm. congregational minister. Right. Um, but one of my areas of focus is our young adult population. Okay. And you know, mobilizing them and being responsible for their faith work. Okay. So I find it interesting that out of everybody in this room this afternoon, that there are two people that can kind of speak to the fact that there's a bridge, right? That that that's even been thought about in terms of what does that transition look like? Yes. I was just going to say, but the rest of us see that there is a need for the bridge. Absolutely. They, 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 we see that things are not going well. Right. Absolutely. And, and so, so we, we, this is a problem, right? Is that, is that uh, of everyone in here that we have two folks that can kind of speak to, you know, this is kind of our bridge, but the rest of us are going, you know, what's, what, what's the bridge? Yeah, you know, the problem with that is, how do you draw draw them in? Okay. To form to form that bridge. We're going to talk about that. Because if you don't have them, it's hard to bring them in. That's true. We're going to, we're going to talk about that. You had your hand. So I was going to say the same thing. It's not that songs aren't trying to connect with the uh, young professionals in our community. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a hard time getting them to stick, mm -hmm. even if they're your son's best friend. Uh, because he needs to work on Sunday morning. Right. So there, there, there are a lot. Of, there, there are a lot of concerns. There are a lot of barriers. There are a lot of things to take into consideration. But I want to talk to you about what doesn't work. Okay. Can yes. You absolutely can. So um, one question is how large? Uh, how large is the group that we're talking about? I mean, do, you, do you have any numbers? In terms of in terms of numbers. Yeah. I don't. Okay. I looked at the number in preparation for this, but I don't want to misquote it. Okay. And so I'm happy to try to share it with you after this. Okay. But it's a it's a really big number. Okay. <laughs> it was almost uh, a quarter of the population. So 
Jonathan says that millennials are almost a quarter of the population. Okay. So. And then one thought, just as part of this, mm -hmm. as you described um, the youngest and the elders, mm -hmm. then I work in an area of under-resourced individuals. Okay. And so the descriptors mm -hmm. are different. Okay. So they're graduating from high school. Some are, mm -hmm. some aren't. Right. And then some are not going to college. Right. And so just as we look at this whole mm -hmm. thing, you've got the ones that are specifically described here, yeah. but then you've got others who are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, that there's also something to take into account uh, that we don't often talk about. There's this phenomenon of delayed adolescence. And so everybody's not leaving for college like they once did. And so, whereas, you know, you would just think, well, whatever, whatever, wherever they go to college and whatever church happens to be lucky enough to get them, that's going to be their, you know, their issue, right? But because of delayed adolescence, you have a lot more that are still around, which makes the importance of the bridge wherever you are even more important. And so there's always going to be variation, but I, I agree with you completely. I want you to think about the concept here of cool not being cool. Cool is not cool. And we'll talk about that here in more detail in a second. But I think that sometimes the temptation, because we want to attract young people, is to figure out how we can make our ministry cool. You know, and people go to great lengths in some instances to do that. So they, you know, try to shift the nature of their their worship to something that's more contemporary. All right? Maybe that'll maybe that'll get them. Or, you know, We'll, we'll, we'll have uh, a more casual Sunday and everybody will dress down and that'll make it feel, feel cool, right? So there's all these things that people are tempted to do in order to try to capture this particular, this particular demographic. Um, but I want you to think about cool not being cool because millennials will tell you that trying to be cool is probably the most uncool thing that you can do. So resist the temptation to just look for kind of what's popular in culture and infuse that into what you're doing. Because actually it comes off as gimmicky. And that's more of a turnoff to millennials than it is something that's going to attract them. Is that they're actually more turned off by gimmicks than they are by authenticity. You guys still with me? There's a lot of articles that you can read um, where millennials are telling you from their own mouths that what they're really hoping is that you'll stop trying to cater to them. And if you really pay attention, millennials actually believe that they're a lot more like you than you really maybe realize or want to believe. That there's really not as much a difference, even though they're having a different experience because times have changed is that you're much more alike than you are different. And so they really want you, and so these are, these are a couple quotes that I got. Um, this gentleman, uh, Jonathan Ager, wrote this article for Pathios where he says, what millennials really want is for you to live into the confidence that knows Christ's work is finished and that the church's mission from age to age, from generation to generation doesn't change. It doesn't change. So, Maybe there are some things that we just need to make sure that we continue to do because from age to age, from generation to generation, the most important things don't really don't really change. Uh, a young lady named Rachel Evans is quoted as saying, we're not leaving church because we don't find the cool factor there. We're leaving church because we don't find Jesus there. That was that was that 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 when I read that, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. We're not leaving church because it's not cool. We're, not leave, we're leaving church because we're not finding Jesus there. So that points to a whole other set of issues and concerns that the person of Jesus is not being seen by this particular generation to the point that they're like, we want Jesus, but we're not finding Jesus here. So we're just going to go ahead and go. It's concerning. Destiny. So first question, what age So I said this slightly before you came in. So it said 1980 to 2000 is millennial. Pew Research has shrunk that down to 1981 to 1996, being born in that range. Okay, because I'm trying to think because that's considered my age. Mm -hmm. And a lot 
left the church because I feel like they wanted to leave the church, not necessarily because Jesus wasn't there. Right. Like I, mean, I was always born and raised in the church, but I had my moment of like you know rebellion, and I didn't want to go, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to do this. But a lot of times, I feel like there is Jesus there. They're just not relating to it as they should, and that okay. is a maturity issue. That can be a maturity issue, but I also think. And, and, and as we go through some of these, these other slides, I think that there are some, it's not that Jesus isn't there, but I think that there are some things that occur in a lot of churches that get in the way of them seeing Jesus, right? Because that age group, uh, 18 to 30, mm-hmm. that's missing in every generation. Absolutely. Uh, it just so happens that this generation now, they are the millennials, mm-hmm. but they were missing in the Gen Xers, they were missing in the baby boomers. Uh, they're also saying they're being missing in, in, in Gen Z. Right. You know, so that age group is always the declining group. That's that's the prodigal son group. Difference is that they're not coming back. True. So that 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 is the thing that's characterized this generation. Is that you're right? Is that in every in every generation, eighteen, you're going to see a decline until the mid twenties, early thirties. But generally, that as they establish families, they come back. This is a generation that hasn't come back. So those numbers stay low, right? So that's that's the, the unique part of this. Our families who are in their late 20s, early 30s, have one or two children, they're just dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. We can't, we haven't found a way to make that connection with them. Yep. And that's my big story. I think, I think that there, there's, there's a lot of things because for, and, and I'm just thinking out loud, um, young families will stay places where they feel like their children are being well served, even if they sometimes are not getting all that they, that they want. Go ahead. No, I was going to oh, say okay. that, that is the, that's millennials, number one, right. is their children. They want their children to be, to be well served. So they'll go someplace where a lot of the other aspects of the ministry are for them subpar if their children are being stimulated. Well, I, I was just in Houston last week with a college friend of mine, and he says that the church that he's going to currently, that they have a very robust children and youth ministry, that his young daughter on Sunday mornings is up before them knocking on their door saying today is Sunday and I'm ready to go to church, right? And so he's like, I love it because she's engaged and she's able to come out of her, you know, worship experience at church and she's able to tell me everything that she learned that day. And so he's very engaged in that church. Now, fortunately enough that the ministry is well-rounded enough that it's serving him and his wife as well, but that's what keeps them there. It's not necessarily that it's convenient and close, but their children are being served well, so they're they're connected in other ways. So there's there's a lot of a, a lot of connective tissue uh, in this in this in this issue, and so my, my my thing to you is to just say no to gimmicks. Just say no to gimmicks. It's it's not going to it's not going to work. And the thing is that if you get caught up in gimmicks, then you always have to keep up with what the new gimmick is. That is exhausting in terms of ministry if you're always having to chase the next gimmick. So don't get so uh, don't don't feel like there there is no magic bullet. So don't think that the latest gimmick, or if you just put up a bigger screen, or that if you just put up some new lights, or if you just hire uh, a youth minister with a cool haircut and skinny jeans, and all of a sudden it's going to fix all your problems. It's not. It's just going to come off as gimmicky, and it may actually have the opposite effect of what you intend. Okay, so I just want you to think about that. I did a Facebook poll of my own. I just asked some of my, my millennial friends some very simple questions. I asked, what do you like most about church? What do you like least about church? And what is the most misunderstood thing by the church about your generation? And so I'm just going to, I'll give you some, some, some general things here in a minute, but I'm going to read you some of the actual responses that I got to some of these questions. Um, So in terms of what they like about church, almost uniformly, and I can give you this almost uniformly, let me go to this slide because it was, it was, I'm not going to read each individual one of these, but almost uniformly, it was these two things that they like about church, worship and community. 
worship and community is that they enjoy being in the worship environment, but they also very much desire to feel to be a part of the community, that there's a community focus, that there's a community feeling about the place where they, where they do worship, is that uniformly almost every millennial that answered the questions that I posed said that these were the two things that they love about church, is I love to worship, and I love the feeling of community. But when I ask them what they like least about church, there's, there's a friend of mine who grew up in the church, and she um, stopped attending some years ago, but she gave a very impassioned and heartfelt answer to, uh, to the second question, and I want to share with you what she said. In terms of what she didn't like church, she said, dogma, frankly speaking, a lot of rituals and faithless gibberish. I tried my best to, avo to avoid it and stay connected to my purpose while I attended. I hated hearing things when I knew the person saying it didn't believe it themselves, and you most definitely could tell you most definitely could tell it in some instances that the person that was saying this stuff didn't even believe the stuff that they were saying, right? But because it was a dogmatic environment, it's what they felt obligated to push. Millennials pick up on inauthenticity probably better than anybody else. It's been saying that um, their meter for inaccurate information. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's very high. So they can pick up on it very, very quickly. Uh, 2A, she said, a lack of authenticity. Sometimes you have an emotional response to something you think church would be a safe place to allow emotional responses. She said, that's just one area, but there are many. That's what she likes least about church. And this is somebody that stopped attending some time ago, but these were some of the things that were, were getting in the way. Um, another friend of mine that I went to high school with, uh, she's pretty unfiltered, but I'm going to give you this response anyway. She says, I do not like forced traditions. She says, um, forced traditions, I, I should only be invited to join the church once. It should be, join the church once. It should be uh, with, uh, without full pressure from the audience. Most people are afraid of public speaking, let alone uh, rejecting an entire crowd of strangers. It's manipulative. So she felt like the invitation could come off as manipulative. This is just her perspective. She says, um, just because it's my first time in a building and I do not associate with an organized religion does not mean that I do not have a relationship with Christ. So she's saying, just because I may not worship here and I come in is that you make assumptions about where I am in terms of my walk, my faith walk. So she goes on to say, um, no one seems to welcome the truth without judgment. I remember going to my father's church and joined Sunday school with the women's group. They began speaking on the body being a temple. Then, of course, fornication came up. All of the women got extra holy. I got honest and said, I love sex. I think it's healthy for my body, but I understand the spiritual ties have passed. The women began projecting, these men are using you up. And I responded, don't give me your testimony. I've never been used by a lover and... I should be able to be honest here without judgment. And obviously, the world is more open-minded. So she, she went into that. And so the idea is not here that we need to agree that what, that what she's doing is right. But when she expresses what she's doing, how do we respond to it, right? And so if anybody, if you should be able to go anywhere and be honest, it ought to be within the community of faith. But when you go into the community of faith and you're honest, you're immediately met with judgment. So why would you want to stay in that community of faith to work through whatever it is that you're being honest about? Does that make sense, right? And so these are just some of the responses uh, that I got from some of my, from some of my friends. And so I, I kind of wanted to put this up because I wanted to put some of it in capsule. And so we want millennials to be a part of the community of faith, but we want to know what gets in the way. And so if I had to round it out, they said that gossip gets in the way. They said that clicks get in the way. They said that people being judgmental like what we just talked about, they said that gets in the way. They said that legalism gets in the way. They said that traditions get in the way. They said that the church seems to be naive and that gets in the way. 
They said that half-hearted worship. Remember that the thing that they like is worship and community. So when worship appears to be or comes off as half-hearted or maybe just simply, you know, regimented and routine, that that gets in the way. Hypocrisy tends to get in the way. Now, the thing about when I started to look at these, these, these common themes that were running through the questions that I asked, these are all things that we need to be dealing with anyway. These are not things that are unique to the millennial generation. It's just that the millennial generation is honest enough to say it. They're just wired in a way that they're not just going to sit idly by and look at this stuff and just sit through it. Because this stuff existed when you were in church, when you were a young person in church too. It's not different. It's just this generation is much more vocal and unwilling to sit in it without it being addressed. But it really has nothing to do with their generation specifically. These are just problems that exist everywhere that we probably need to address anyway, right? And then when I asked what's misunderstood, they said they want to grow and serve, not be catered to with gimmicks. It says, well, let, let me talk to, talk to that point just a little bit really quickly. I, I graduated from Abilene Christian University, and I was hired at the congregation that I grew up in, in Northern California. And when I got there, all the people that I had grown up with were so excited that someone young was there to just help them to move forward. And all I wanted to do was to help that congregation grow. That was all I wanted to do. All we wanted to do was serve. But our zeal to serve was met with a lot of resistance. It's met with a lot of resistance because sometimes people that are not that active can become intimidated by people that are active. And so there was this real, there was this really weird control struggle thing that existed in that context. And ultimately what ended up happening is that rather than being allowed to serve Myself and all those young people that all they wanted to do was serve, they were significantly oppressed within that situation. So we were, we were, we were micromanaged and they tried to control us to the point that people just got frustrated and left. And I was actually the last of those to, to leave um, in hopes that things would turn around if I could just get these people to see that all we want to do is, is serve. All we want to do is serve. We don't need any titles. We don't need any power. We don't even need any acknowledgement. We just want to be free to serve. Sounds like something that would be welcomed. But depending on the mentality of the people that are in positions of, of, of control or leadership, it can it cannot come that way. But this generation does not want to be catered to with gimmicks. They just want to grow and serve. They're showing up, but maybe not the way that you'd like. This is called the why generation. So they're questioning things because... They're searching for truth. So they're not questioning things in order to be, to be obstinate. They're not questioning things in order to be difficult. But they're questioning things because that's the nature of their generation, is to ask why. But you know what? People that don't have answers are intimidated by people that ask why. I thought you just go up to the second one. Um, our congregation. You know, we're so used to Wednesday night, Sunday night, and all of that. They're showing up Sunday morning, but they don't get Wednesday night. They don't get Sunday night. They don't get some of the other things. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense for them. Mm -hmm. They don't come just because that's what you should do. They're going to come because there's something there for them either to do or, like you said, worship. Mm -hmm. But they're going to come if there's a reason for them to be there. You don't give them a reason. They ain't showing up. Interesting. Very interesting. And so it makes you rethink what you're doing because they're saying these other meetings that you have set up, I don't know if it's the content that's being offered or what it is, but they don't find great value in it. So they're not going to show up out of a sense of obligation, right? So there has to be some, some value. And so 
rather than it now in a lot of contexts that, I, that I've been in, there would be a great deal of frustration around that. But maybe a better approach is to is to begin asking the question why. Is that it is what we're because if they're they're simply wanting something because every time that we should be there, there should be something of value that's offered. Um, and so we need to ask, what is it that we're offering that that is seeming to not have the value that that they're looking for? Now again. I'm not saying that you need to completely shift in order to cater to a particular group of people, but if you have a significant population that say, we're, our spiritual needs are not being met through this medium, then I think it is only responsible leadership to ask, what's going on? Kind of mentioned too, should be there. I, I think that's the big question too. Who says we should be there Sunday night and Wednesday night? Or is it saying that? It's like a tradition thing. Right. Really, question. And sometimes, and sometimes when that question is asked, our answers are so flimsy that they're like, yeah, good luck proving that, right? And so because we don't even have good, but the thing is, is that sometimes these, and, and I see your hand, sometimes these, these issues go away when we are making sure that everybody feels connected to the community, right? And so a lot of times this generation feels like they're kind of on the, on the fringes and on the, you know, kind of on the margins. And so I think, <coughs> That, that community connectedness helps in that regard as well. I was going to say that uh, that still ties into what you were saying about Wednesday night, Sunday night, all these other times when we go as elderly people, older people, because we're obligated. It's still true. We, we probably wouldn't want to be there. A lot of times we go thinking, yeah, <coughs> I really don't want to be here. And y'all ain't saying anything. It was really kind of boring. But I feel like, you know, the Lord's going to take me to hell. So it's kind of like, we go through the same thing. And the bottom line still address the fact that there should be something of value there. And we, everybody would come more. The whole church would go more. The church would, I've visited a lot looking at this millennial thing. The ones that have it down are very authentic. They, they might be somebody with skinny jeans. But it's somebody who you know probably does wear skinny jeans, not somebody who's trying to be young. So they have everything. But when you go, you really see, you really get something out of it every time. You can see the value. The excitement. There's no pressure, you know. There's no pressure. There's no pressure. Just freedom of you come, you have a good time, and wow, you know, that's that type of thing. Those are the ones that seem to be more successful. Anybody else want to throw anything in here? And so they do know what they're talking about. And so remember that this is an information-rich generation. So they, have, they, they do have a lot of knowledge about a lot of things. Now, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is two completely different things, but they do have access to a lot of information and a lot of knowledge. And so when they're talking about something, oftentimes they're not just talking about it off the top of their heads, is that they actually do have some knowledge about that thing because it's an, infor, it, an information-rich generation. And they're listening, they are listening, and they hear everything. They are listening and they hear everything. So they're watching and they're, and they're listening. So now the question is, what do, what do we do? So these are some, some more, more, practical, more practical things. Stop treating your millennials like they're uninformed. This is an information-rich generation, like I just said, and has more information at their disposal than previous generations. This generation is able to easily debunk and discredit poorly crafted positions and arguments. And this was interesting. 38% of practicing Christian millennials admit to using technology to verify something that's said in the pulpit while it's being said. So fate says something and I'm saying, hmm, let me see if he's really, if he's really on point with that, right? And so we're in we're in a position where the guy that's standing up in front might not be the smartest person in the room, may not be the most knowledgeable person on that thing that he's talking about. And there is a generation of people that's sitting there that's already skeptical about everything. They're asking why about everything, which means that if we're in an information rich, if we're dealing with an information rich generation, that the, the burden of proof, if you will, is almost higher than it's been before because you have a group of skeptics that is looking to, 
cross-check the things that you're saying. So we can't treat this generation as if they're uninformed. You know, in when I was growing up, it was just enough because the preacher was an authoritative figure to stand there and to say whatever he said. And because, you know, good old brother so-and-so said whatever he said, it must be true because he's the, the one that's standing there, right? Millennials don't care anything about that. They want it to be, they want truth. They want, they want accuracy. And so if, if you are presenting a poorly crafted position about something, they're not buying it. They're not buying it. And, and it comes off as, as inauthentic. And so we have to make sure that we stop treating this generation just because of their age as if they're uninformed because it's an information-rich generation. So it's not that they're uninformed. And again, that doesn't mean that they know how to use the information that they have, but it just means that they have access to the information, right? Recognize that this is a tech-savvy generation. Failure to use technology is a mistake, but you have to ensure that it's a tool and not a gimmick, all right? So how do, you, how do you strike that balance? I'm not sure I have the answer to that. But you want to make sure that it's a tool and not a gimmick. Because remember, gimmicks are repellents. But we can use these things as tools. 70% of millennials access scripture using a smart device. 90% of the time, if I'm not about to preach, I don't carry a Bible. I just have my phone. Just how I function, you know? A third of millennials use a website as a prerequisite to visiting a church. So they're making judgments based on, on the website. Now that doesn't mean that you have to have a whole bunch of flash on your website and do this and do that because again, that begins to come off as gimmicky. But you do want to make sure that it's something that is, is, is robust, something that is user friendly, something that gives an accurate picture of you know, what your faith community looks like. 81% of millennials are on, are on Facebook. So when I'm, when I'm pushing an event for young adults, do you think that I still waste time printing flyers and putting them, putting them in the mail? I can't remember the last time I put a stamp on something. Honestly, I can't remember the last time I put a stamp on something. If I'm pushing something that is catering to a young adult generation, then I make sure that my social media presence is very high. And I'm drilling it through that medium because that is the medium through which they communicate. So if I'm trying to reach that generation, I have to use the tools that are available to me. Again, not in a gimmicky way, but ensuring that I'm leveraging the way that they, that they communicate. Did you have your hand up? Yeah, more and more are not trusting Facebook based on recent events in Congress and everything else. Mm -hmm. um, is it your experience that they're switching to Twitter or Snapchat or something else? Because, you know, Facebook is so grandma now. It is. But here, here's one of the beautiful things about social media is that Instagram can link to Facebook. So I can post it in one place, and it's going to hit both, right? And so there are these, these weird interconnected relationships, you know? And so, if, and I'm not even, you know, an expert in that regard, but somebody in your congregation is, you know? And so you have to, and you have to also know your demographic, right? Because I still use Facebook quite a bit, but those that are younger than me, but remember, I'm kind of at the edge of this thing. Like, I'm not really a young adult. I'm really a grown man. That's <laughs> where young adult clothes, that's all, right? But, you know, so, so I, I don't do Snapchat, but almost every 20-something-year-old has a Snapchat. I just don't do Snapchat, not my thing, right? So you have to figure out what your demographic looks like and figure out the best way to use it, but what we do know is that whatever the medium is might not be Facebook, but there is a way to, to, to reach that. And so, again, not in a gimmicky way, but just say, hey, this is how people connect. I, I am in the transition of, of going from one ministry to another, and I got to this, this other congregation, and I'm noticing that we have this huge young adult population. And so I asked one of the, the, the young men that's there, he's a, he's a young deacon, I said, um, do you have a checkbook? He says, I don't even own a checkbook. I said, okay. I said, how do, you, how do you give? He said, well, if I remember to go to the ATM, then I'll give cash. And then I'll kind of convince myself if I forget to go to the ATM that I'll double up the next week. But I generally 
done. So wow. So I went to the leaders and I said, hey, listen, there's like a hundred different ways that you can leverage technology for these young people to give, because guess what? The majority of them don't even own a checkbook, right? They said, oh, you know what? We set that up a while ago, but, and that was kind of the response I got, but? So you're telling me, but you're complaining that your millennial population doesn't give, but you're making the barriers to them giving high, and then you marginalize their participation in the community of faith because you believe that they're not good givers. Come on, y'all can understand where I'm coming from? Is that they have the tools available to them, set it up, but never presented it in a way that they could, I said, you probably could take your giving up with your, the younger population in this church by no less than 25% a week by simply making this available, making this information available because this is how they think. So if you say, hey, it's time to give, and if you want to give and what pops up on the screen is not just a picture of uh, a collection basket with some money going in it, but rather how I can actually give in this moment if I don't have cash, if I don't have a checkbook, guess what? As a young person, I'm gonna pull out my phone and I'm gonna do, I went to an event at Metro and Something came up, they said, if you do this and do this, then you can do this. And you know what I did? I pulled up my phone, I did that, I did that, and then I gave, right? Because I don't carry cash in my pocket, right? So I, I did it, and so it got, that's what actually got me to, to thinking, like, how come we don't do that where, where I'm at? Because the young adult population in that church is probably no less than one-third of the entire church. So one-third of the church is probably giving marginally but it's only because we've made the barrier so high. Not because they're not willing, not because they don't love the Lord, but because we're not understanding how to give them the tools to be fully integrated into the community of faith. We have to recognize that millennials care about real world issues. So adherence to a disconnected doctrine doesn't sit well with them. Because if we keep saying that God has an answer for everything, then the Y generation wants the answer to that everything. So we cannot see things going on in the world around us and pretend like we don't see it. Now that doesn't mean, and that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we need to become some hyper-political machine that deals with a bunch of political issues. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that millennials care about real world issues. And so you cannot say, come in here and act as if the stuff that's going on out there is not happening, right? Doesn't sit well with them. They want to know the intersection between their faith and real life stuff. And how does that come together? How do I move in a society that has the issues that it has. Like um, a couple of, of years ago, uh, maybe this was about two, two years ago, I, uh, in July, it was, there was a lot, there was in rapid succession, there were a number of unarmed black men that were killed. It was in the month of July, I'll never forget it. Um, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, it was all like in rapid succession, all these, young black men that summer were killed in rapid succession. I couldn't stand up in front of the church that I preached to and say nothing. And I didn't say it from the perspective of, of, of being a politician. I said it from the perspective of, of a Christian. I said it from the perspective because some, some assumed that because I, will, I, I am uh, an African-American preacher in a predominantly black church that I would simply speak about those men, but guess what? There were also four police officers in Dallas that got killed. And in that sermon I said, I cannot be concerned about Philando Castile, I cannot be concerned about Alton Sterling, I can't be concerned about these men and not be concerned about these police officers as well. So it wasn't that I was seeking to, uh, to be overly political or to 
to skew the thing one way or another, but I believe as a Christian, we need to be appalled about all of it. That's how we speak to real life stuff and show the intersection of faith in real life because that's what this generation is looking for. And so I know that it, it sometimes is a little different than how we've approached things historically, but they don't check real life at the door and step into this kind of pseudo environment, kind of do the, the church thing and then step out. It all flows together for them. So we have to find ways to find the intersection between real world issues and their faith. It's a hard thing to do, but it's also, I believe it's also necessary. It's very necessary. You guys all right? Y'all looking at me a little strange. <laughs> all right. The Barner Group, of course, does a lot of research on, on all of this, and they have a very succinct list of things that you can do in order to connect with, with millennials. And the first of which is making room for meaningful relationships. And remember, the thing that I told you is that when I did my poll, that the, the two things that most millennials are interested in is worship and community. Worship and, and community. And so when we talk about meaningful relationships, they just want to feel like they're a part of a greater vision. They want to feel like they're a part of the plan. And so I showed you the, 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 the graphic earlier about the, with the bridge. What's the bridge? What carries them from youth ministry into the greater community of faith once, that, once they hit that 18-year-old mark? What, what is it that's in place? To carry them. Some people have young adult ministry, some don't. But I think that it needs to be designed in a way that makes them feel integrated into the larger community, the larger community of faith. There has to be something there. They want to feel like they're a part of the bigger plan. Teaching cultural discernment. This is kind of what we just talked about, but it's about uh, taking biblical principles and revealing how God sees the world in situations that they face. That's cultural discernment. So it's about making sure that they understand how their faith in the real world comes together. This is how you gain the attention, the attention of, of millennials. Create reverse mentoring opportunities. How wonderful it is for a young person to be mentored or discipled by an older person. That's biblical and it's beautiful. But it's even more beautiful when that person that's doing the mentoring has enough humility to allow themselves to be mentored as well. It's kind of a foreign concept for us sometimes is that sometimes you have to have the ability to listen just as well as you have the ability to speak or to give. Is that if you really want to understand a person, it makes sense that you do more listening than you do speaking. And listen with the intent to understand rather than to respond. Create reverse Mentoring opportunities. T yes. Um, I was just going to say on on that part. I mean, that is that is all in struggle. Um, um, it, it's and a struggle in the, in the fact that um, of just speaking pastorally, mm -hmm. it's a struggle in that you are expected to lead. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I, the conversation I've had with some of the young adults our daughter included, um, is, is we need them to step up and lead because I'm not a natural, I'm not a natural inhabitant of the present environment. Mm -hmm. I don't navigate it naturally. Right. Um, I don't think like, act like, you know, mm -hmm. I can fake like, mm -hmm. but I don't. Right. But it, it, it's problematic because 
often neither do millennials want to lead. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, they, they kind of want to be. Right. They don't like want to be. Yeah. And, and it's, 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 it's hard. It is. <laughs> it's hard. I'm going to ask a question, though. Do you think it's possible that you think it's possible that sometimes because there's a lack of a bridge between that youth ministry kind of thing and where we expect them to kind of step up, that it's we're almost like playing catch up. Well, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. Instead of small steps, it's a big leap. Right. Yeah. Doesn't make it easier. No, I, I agree. I, I understand it. Yeah. <laughs> but but this is uh, this is why I'm glad we're having this discussion because here's the thing is that they don't want to lead but they're the next generation of leaders. Absolutely, are. which is a frightening thought, right? Is that you have this very disconnected generation that technically should be the next generation of leaders. So what is that really going to look like when they don't want to lead? Either they don't want to be there or they don't want to lead, right? So while we have to have discussions like this because we got to figure out how to get them from from here to there. Yes, sir. I was going to say because you're in that role right now. Uh, what recommendations would you have for us to do the baby steps? Mm -hmm. uh, another class I took, they talked about giving them the, the car keys and then teaching them how to drive. Right. I'm struggling with what are the pieces right. of teaching them how to drive? That's just that our generation. You learn to drive, then you get the keys. <laughs> right, right. But they're, but they're saying, I don't want to drive. Right. So, I mean, literally, I don't want to drive. Yeah, right. But they're also saying, yeah. I don't want to drive in the church because I see, in my case, yeah. my, my kid says, uh -huh. because I see what the church did to you, Dad. You're the preacher. Okay? So, yeah. you know, why would I want to do Why would I do, want to do that to myself? But the church needs people to step up. How do we help them to step up? So... I've given this a lot of thought because the position that I'm in currently is, is as I'm in this transition, I'm now kind of, I don't want to say stepping back, but pivoting in terms of that I'm no longer the, the pulpit preacher as I was before, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm an assistant that's responsible for young adults and for youth. So I'm having to kind of go back to stuff that I did previously. All kingdom work, I'm happy to do it all, right? But I had to start thinking differently because I really wasn't thinking about that. But I think that there has to be we kind of need to make sure that, that our ministries are designed in such a way that there, there's a, 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 a global mission and vision, right? And I think that everything that we do has to point toward that, but we have to make sure that there's a part of that that also focuses on, on young adults because I think that somehow in the grand scheme of it all, they end up getting lost in the mix. So we spend a lot, of, a lot of, of time and energy making sure that our, our youth, and there's a robust youth ministry, and that they make it to you know, all the rallies and all the conferences and the this and the that, and they have a this and the that. You know? So there's always stuff there, but then there's this significant drop off because there's not a bridge, but everything needs to point toward everybody in the community of faith kind of falling underneath the umbrella of that global vision. Sometimes because we don't have a global vision, then we don't have anything to point toward. And so that's kind of where I'm struggling right now, to make sure that it's understood how this congregation is organized and the things that this entire congregation is pointed toward. Then I understand, or I'm at least able to start trying to figure out how do I point this demographic toward that goal. But it, there has to be something that's kind of overarching. So that's what I'm working with, uh, the, the, the minister that I'm working with right now to try to, to try to establish. And so I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. Um. Um, something that I've appreciated about uh, my pastors and how they approach this like, interacting with us is that they emphasize that church isn't just on Sunday, it's throughout the course of your week. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, they've given us opportunities in our communities to pray for one another, to like, actually practice those like, aspects of leadership, and they've given us the expectation hey, Got to step into this because that's what we're right. I think I think that's I think that's fantastic. Teaching connections between vocation and discipleship. I was just called a couple of weeks ago to a buddy's congregation to deal with his young adult group, probably two months ago, and they wanted to talk about this specifically. How does my 
profession and my faith intersect. And so I did a class called The Intersection where cross meets career. And so we had a, a significant, very lively discussion about that because they understand that everybody's not, everybody's vocation is not in the church in terms of, you know, full-time ministry. That's not everybody's life. But they want to understand how they can use what they do and still have their faith be out in front of that. What does that look like? And so we spent two hours having a very practical discussion about that intersection, about where, where the cross meets your career and how, how you do that. And so that's, that's one way that the Barner Group says that you can connect is helping millennials to understand how the cross in their career happened to meet. And then facilitating a connection with Jesus. Remember that, you know, the one quote that we looked at earlier that said, not leaving the church because it's not cool, we're leaving the church because we, we don't find Jesus there. But Destiny brought up a great point. That it's not necessarily that Jesus is not there. Sometimes people leave because they want to leave. Sometimes people leave for any number of reasons, but the one thing that, that our little informal poll revealed is that it's not that they don't want to be in worship, it's not that they don't want to be connected to the community, but there's all this stuff that we needed to be dealing with anyway that's getting in the way of them being able to see Jesus because we have kind of swept things under the rug in such a way and they're just not a sweet stuff under the rug type of generation that they speak on it and when it's not acted upon they would rather just disconnect than continue to sit in what they perceive to be hypocrisy right and so that's just kind of how they how they function but these are five uh, kind of simple thing I don't want to say simple but but a, a succinct list uh, that the Barner groups comes together uh, puts together in order to help us through this so that these are, this is my, my last slide and so what I believe from, from what I've read and what, what I've talked to this particular uh, generation about is that what we're experiencing with the millennial generation does not require some grand plan for correction. There is no magic bullet. There is no gimmick. Is that we just need to do what we should have been doing all along. Honestly. Is that if we're, if we're actually doing the things that we are supposed to be doing and also honestly addressing issues that we know exist, then I think some of this begins to self-correct. So what we're experiencing with this generation is a byproduct of issues that have gone unaddressed for too long, whether that's not having a bridge, whether that's not making them part of the community of faith, whether it's looking at all the things that they talk about in terms of you know, being naive, in terms of uh, hypocrisy, in terms of clicks in terms of all these things that they're saying, listen, I just don't want any part of that because we're not, we're not addressing nor are we teaching our way through those things to help to create a more healthy community of faith, right? And so I think that if I had to boil it down to three things, it, these would be my basic things. Love God, love each other, and teach the word. I know it sounds super simplistic, but if we truly devote ourselves, I think, to these three things, then I think what happens is we begin to create a more authentic community. And that, I think, is the piece that is a common thread throughout the whole issue of millennials is that they're looking for authenticity. They're not looking for performance. They're not even looking to be entertained. They're looking for authenticity. We want to believe that that's what they're looking for, but that's not it at all. They're simply looking for authenticity. So it doesn't really matter, the, the more that I read, it doesn't matter how contemporary your worship is. That's cool. And if that's your thing, that's cool. But that's not going to keep them. Especially if even that comes off as inauthentic. What they're looking for is authenticity. So they're really just pulling the covers back off of issues that we've had for a long time. That if we really just address them, I think some of this begins to self-correct. Now again, they're going to leave because we understand that the way that this generation is wired, they're just less religiously affiliated than any generation prior to now. But the way that we retain what we can retain is by loving God, loving each other, and teaching the word. Yes. Good question. Mm -hmm. Does your survey include those who have grown up in the body? Mm -hmm. It includes those that have grown up in the body. It includes those that are still active it includes some that are that said I'm, I'm done with this you know and so I just appreciate it and, and but what was interesting is that even the people that have left the thing that they miss 
is worshiping community. Right? That's it's interesting, right? It's like I'm out, but I miss worshiping community, right? But you know, it, I, I found that, that that to be to be going to hear it in the faith and it will be done. I'm troubled by what you just said. So we won't lose as many, but that's ignoring all those millennials out there that represent the sixty percent of them that aren't going anywhere, mm -hmm. that are unchurched, that are you know the Great Commission doesn't say just hang on to the ones you can hang on to. No, the Great Commission says reach the lost, and so how do you reach a lost millennial? I think is part of this conversation too. I think, I think that's true, but I, I think the answer almost remains the same, right? Is that as we're reaching out, I think it's, it's about making sure that we create an environment that's authentic, because the, I think the things that, 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 the things that impact that generation, whether they're churched or unchurched, there's, still, there's a common thread. And I think that, that authenticity is it. Uh, faith in God and it will be through. I was just gonna say that, um I've done some of this, this demography also, is that there is a difference though called cross-racial Okay. That that um, that the millennial problem, quote unquote, is significantly different among um, predominantly white populations than there are of black populations. Um, black kids are still leaving the church, but they're leaving the church like kids have always left the church. It's, it's not like a big huge bump. Exodus. Whereas in in uh, still problem, right? Still problem, but but in, in predominantly a wider population, it's huge. It's this huge amount, and I don't know why, but it's just it's this huge amount of it's like millennial flight. It's yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Um, um, but they're in the black church, you know. You, yeah. you know, it's just that it's 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 about the same. Yeah. But it is that the black millennials, whereas in years before, black uh, black kids in that in that area. They leave, but they come back. Right. The difference is the black millennial—they're leaving, not coming back. back. Right. That—that's the difference. But I mean, the but, but the, the the amount of leaving is about the same. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan, I want to address Bob. Yeah. Let me turn Bob. Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? I think it goes to what Stacy was saying in the second point, where we're experiencing a byproduct of many issues that have been unaddressed for far too long where we're experiencing young people with a very keen eye for things that are uh, not genuine, uh, things that are critical, uh, for canned responses, uh, arguments that are not well put together. And so when they are presented with a gospel that is more about recruiting them into a religious system, but they don't see a church that is active in showing the power of God, the compassion of God, when they, don't, when they see a church that's not serving that's the hypocrisy that they're sniffing out that they don't want to be a part of. Uh, one of the things that I've gained in my experience is that uh, people of generation attract like generation. You know what I mean? I'm almost 50 and I've had to grow with grace understanding that while I've been cool all my life, younger kids don't view me as cool as I am. <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't get it. Um, but what we've understood is that oftentimes when the church is reaching out to non-believers and non-believers are not responding to what we're reaching out with, we think they're rejecting God. But no, they're rejecting a system that they see that they're not agreeing with. What we, we've taken the approach of, we need to be active in serving our community, having missions and ministry and service opportunities. And our young people have been much more active in inviting their contemporaries to join them in service opportunities. And when they join them in service opportunities, then they see the church acting. They see the church being compassionate. They see the church displaying love. They should see the church serving and giving mercy. And then that's how they start getting to know what the church is by what the church does instead of what can be a quote unquote canned gospel that they don't see living out. And so we have been somewhat more uh, successful in, in developing relationships with unchurched younger people through actively being the church. And you know, and when the real relationship flip back some, that's when the real we have the opportunity to form the real relationships. And when, when people are shown the power of God, then your gospel has more validity. 
Destiny, you had your hand up, but you absolutely will be our last <laughs> comment. Uh, because you're a millennial. Hey, we have nowhere else to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I don't know. It was just something um, quick that I was thinking about when you were talking about um, the bridge and what we can do as far as like the gap between like the youth and the millennials. But I've been talking to our youth group at the church about that as well. Like some of our kids that are in high school that are graduating, we don't have anything for them. We don't have a classroom. We don't have anything for them to keep them interested or give them opportunities to serve. So for me as a millennial, millennial, I like being challenged. Like my dad challenged me all the time. I feel like if we challenge our people and give them some sort of responsibility or even hold them accountable for things that they're supposed to be doing that and convict them, that that will start bringing something else in their mind to start acting in church. Like even for my old friends, I still convict this man, like why you not come to church? You have a child, why isn't your child in church? Are you teaching them about Jesus? Like all of these things that you grew up with and you know, they're still in you. It's like you're trying to fight what's natural for you because you think something else is better. And for me, I think that we need to challenge and we need to hold our kids accountable for that. Like if you grew up in a church or whatever, I'm gonna hold you accountable to that. What are you doing right now? How is this better in your life? How are you serving? How are you preaching the gospel to your friends that you see every single day? Don't you want to see them in heaven too? No, When relationships are when relationships are authentic, you're compelled to do that. Yes, sir. Yeah. When relationships are, are, are authentic, you're compelled to do that. So that's just like, you know, Jonathan and Faith have known me, you know, forever. So all of a sudden, I just up and disappear. You know what I mean? I think that I would at some point hear from them. You know what I mean? If I just disappeared because we're, we're connected. Even though I live 400 miles away, we're still a connected community. So if I just up and disappeared because of the authenticity, the authenticity of those relationships, I would still hear from them, you know? So I think when we create those authentic relationships, exactly what you're talking about is exactly what should happen. Unfortunately, we're falling short, but we, I think we have at least something here. It's not a magic bullet, but it was just intended to start wrapping our mind around this huge issue that's gonna become even bigger as this demographic becomes the largest portion of our adult population, because these are our leaders. These are who we're supposed to be looking to, and right now we're on we're on shaky ground. So I hope that something that I've given you has at least caused you to think, and you can begin to shape and craft it for your own environment. Have a great day. <laughs>